You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, everyone, and uh, happy Reformation Day for those of you who are celebrating Reformation Day, and also happy Halloween for the rest of you who may be celebrating Halloween, or just none of it. We're not going to celebrate any of it. But, uh, you know, this is going to be probably the spookiest sermon of your life. No, I'm just, we are preaching on Halloween. No. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to, yeah. Welcome to Refuge Community Church. My name is Sean Sigwin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I'm so thankful uh, just to have this opportunity to continue our sermon series. I've been thinking a little bit about uh, just the times that we are living in and um, I was, I was, I had this like kind of like joke of being the spooky sermon and leading into this like idea that we are living in scary times. But like, there is a reality that like there is something kind of scary about the times that we live in. Not not like end of the world kind of stuff. That I'm I'm not bringing that kind of stuff up. I'm just thinking about this reality that no matter what the issue is, there is an expert on both sides of that issue telling you totally different things. And you, as an individual, as a layperson, are left at your own mercies to go and, and like, I'm gonna just, I, how am I supposed to read these medical textbooks and know who's right about what food causes cancer, right? How am I as a, as, you know, a, a, I'm not a scientist, but I'm gonna go read all this information. I'm gonna figure all the information about what's going, what's gonna cause climate change. You know, you have people on both sides of everything and you have this, you know, you may have the overwhelming majority over here, but then you still have these experts over here who say this and, and you're left like, oh, well, what am I supposed to believe, you know? And, and it's confusing and honestly, at times it's, scary because you're like, am I participating in the end of the world or, you know, what's going on? And I, I have to say that there's this reality that even the Galatians, when Paul is writing to them, are probably experiencing a bit of this, like, what's what's going on? Who's right here? Because Paul, as an authority figure, he's an authority on scripture. He's an authority on God's word, on the gospel, is preaching on what the gospel is. And they had these other people come in and say, actually, this is the gospel. And so here you have this church that's trying to figure out, well, which way do we go? I just want to be saved. I don't know what to do. You know, do I do I eat pork or not eat pork? What do I do? You know? And so they're, they're in a kind of similar situation as they're, they're going between these two different authority figures. They're like, we're just, we're just trying to know what to do. Just help us guide us, you know? And, and they had, and as you remember, when we, as we've been working through the book of Galatians, these other individuals that came in and they were like, Hey, that, that gospel that, that has been preached to you, those of you who are not Jews, in order to be included in this, you've got to become fully Jewish. And so that means, you know, changing your dietary habits. And that also means if you haven't been circumcised, you need to be circumcised, right? And there's this like, this is full inclusion. This is, you have to become fully Jewish to be all the way in. And so these guys come in and say all this, this stuff. And Paul hears about it and he's coming in and he's cleaning up this mess. That's essentially what the book of Galatians is. The book of, and as we've been talking about it, we've been, uh, the sermon series is called Freedom Through Christ. Because that's really what he's, he's saying like, hey, I know that there's this other, this opposing view out there that's telling you you've got to do this, this, and this, and this. You've got to jump through all these hoops in order to be saved. But in fact, it, it's Christ and nothing else. That's really all. It, it comes down to trusting in Christ and nothing else. And so... Um, 
that, that fear of are we in or are we out? Like, did I do the right things? Did I follow the right patterns? Did I, did I do enough to get in? Paul has squashed all that. And we get to the end of this book. And I'm, I'm going to be preaching this last chapter. I, I get the opportunity to kind of like close this out. Um, and we get to this last chapter. And, and Paul just kind of um, points out some, some, a few things that I want to draw out um, and and I, just so you know, I'm only going to be preaching from 11 through 18. I'm not going to do the whole of chapter 6. If you're interested in hearing a sermon on the beginning of chapter 6, Josh actually preached on that uh, back in June. You can look it up, June 27th. He preached on uh, the, begin, the beginning of this chapter. So, um, But uh, verses 11 through 18 is what I'm going to be diving into, kind of close out this time. Uh, and what we see, that are three things that I see drawn out, um, is that these false leaders are are lifting up their selves. So lifting up self. Then Paul talks about lifting up Jesus, and then he talks about lowering self. So lifting up self, uh, lifting up Jesus, and lowering self. So we're going to be diving into these three things. We'll be looking at them as we work our way through the passage. All right, so we're going to be uh, in, in verses 11 through 13 as we look, up this, they look at this idea where Paul's pointing out that they are lifting up self, lifting up self. He says this, uh, and this is uh, Galatians 6, verse 11. Look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even, even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Um, when I was uh, about 19 years old, I started working as a nurse's aide at a, a nursing home. Um, and at this nursing home, uh, it was a government-owned nursing home, um, and so it, it was. It was okay, um, but something that I, I noticed is that, you know, all the residents who could speak up for themselves or who had family coming to visit got a very different picture from the reality that was underneath the whole thing. Because what I was told to do as a CNA, a nurses aide, who was over, you know, I had so just keep it. I had eight patients, eight residents, eight patients that I had to not only have them in the dining room within an hour of the time that I clocked in, uh, but that meant I had to get them dressed. I had to make sure I changed all the diapers that needed to be changed. And I had to give multiple showers and shave a few as well. And if you can even imagine trying to do that with eight residents in one hour, uh, it's, it's just not possible. And so what it really came down to was, hey, uh, Mr. Solis's uh, family's coming in today. Make sure his face is shaved. What it came down to is make sure that Mrs. Williams is in, in the cafeteria by the time breakfast starts. Because sometimes they wouldn't all get down to the cafeteria. Their food would be brought in. And what it looked like from the outside, if you came and visited your family members on a regular basis, you'd say, oh, look, at there's people exercising over here. There's people, everybody, they, their food looks pretty good. Um, seems like everybody's being taken care of real well. But if you were able to dive in a little bit further, you'd say, man, like, some of these people are getting neglected. It's, it was sad. It was horrible. I felt, I felt stretched. I felt like I wasn't able to do enough. I, I actually like, spent time in tears over the fact that I could not uh, care for everyone well enough. And I tried to talk to my people in charge, like, we need more people or, you, you know, whatever. But there's this reality that we can make things look good on the outside and there can be death and decay 
underneath and no one see it. We present the good, but we, we hide the bad. And this is exactly what these false leaders are doing. They're presenting this good thing. They're, they're going, hey, look, look at, they, they want to be able to go back to all their Jewish friends and say, look, we got all these Gentiles to become full-fledged Jews. Look how good we are. They lift themselves up because, man, like, you're, you're getting people to fully convert. Like, you're, you're so convincing people are getting circumcised, right? Like, this is crazy. And so there's kind of like this, like, lifting up of their selves that's happening. They, they, it looks good on the outside. Like, man, this Jewish movement that's happening where Jesus is proclaimed, all of a sudden these Gentiles are becoming Jews. This is really, it looks really good on the outside to all these other Jews. But, man, Paul comes in and he's, he's like, look at the mess underneath Look at what is happening. Not only are they being uh, compelled to be circumcised, not only are they being compelled to become full-fledged Jews, which isn't even the point of the cross, not to become another ethnicity, but the point is to be fully surrendered to Jesus. And not only are are they doing this, but they also themselves are not following the law. Paul's calling them out. He's like, look, you, they, they think they're so holy and so wonderful because they can get a few Gentiles to convert all the way. But, man, they aren't even following the law. They're hypocrites. And we can look at these Jewish leaders and we can go, ah, yeah, look at, the, look at that mess, man. They are, that, that's, that's messed up. But we, we do similar things. I, I do similar things. I mean, look, I look at, at times some of my, my, you could look at my social media posts, you know, and you're going to see the good side of me. You're going to see the times when uh, I post something sweet about my wife. You're going to see some times when I post this really sweet picture about my kid and this, and, and this thing that they did or whatever. You're going to see these things and you're going to go, oh man, Sean's such a good dad. And man, his kids, those sequin kids, they're, they're really, they're wonderful, you know? And wow, what a great family. You know, if you just looked at my social media, but man, you don't see me when I lose my temper. <laughs> you don't see me when I get angry. Uh, y'all are like, now y'all imagine some more horrible things, right? Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't see me when, when I raise my voice, when I get angry, when, I, when I'm impatient, when I'm sh- forcing my kids to put their shoes on and I'm so angry that they won't get their shoes on that I'm shoving it on their foot in an un, you know, like a little bit too aggressively. You know, There's that reality that you don't see those little moments of irritation. You don't see my full reality because I like to present this good side of me. There's a little bit of social pressure that, you know, they got to be that, that a good family man. And, and there's the reality that I want to be a good dad as well, right? But, but why is it that I present this, but I don't, uh, I'm not 100% honest about that. And today I'm being 100% honest about that. I, I've, got, I've got, sometimes I get angry with my, my kids, my family, and I get a little loud and, you know, these things happen. Um, but we, we all do this, though. Like, that social pressure pushes each one of us to do these kinds of things. Whether the social pressure is, is a social media thing where you're posting certain things and not posting other things, or whether it's the way you present yourself to others in this church. Maybe you go to community group and you hang out and you share this wonderful, these wonderful things that are happening. Maybe you share a few prayer requests that are, like, lighthearted and easy, but all the while you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God. How real can we get with one another? How real can we get with one? Because that's, that's really what it's going to require if we're going to be a community that's growing. And, and, and to, be, to be real, we've got we to push past that social pressure. And Paul's calling out this problem of this social pressure. But we may look at it and be like, no, nah, but that's not the same as what they're doing. They're, they're out there trying to get other people to do what, what they're doing. And they're, you know. But 
that same drive to be loved, to be accepted, that to be viewed a certain way, that same drive that makes you feel like, oh, I've got to keep up appearances or whatever, those same things that push you were much more intense in the first century. They lived in an honor-shame culture. And in an honor-shame culture, what you get is this idea that, that if, if you act in a certain way that goes against what our culture views as okay, you are not only shunned by the rest of the culture, but your family members are shunned if they continue to accept you and everyone around them. Anybody who's, who, does, who has dinner with you is shunned because of that. So you could imagine something like today, I'll give you an example. This is what it would be like if we lived in that time. Uh, I'm trying to think of today's social pressures. But imagine, some, imagine your parent or family member found out that someone, in, not you, someone in your church voted differently than they voted. And they were like, I heard you're going to that church. You can't come over to our house anymore. I know I'm your mom, but I can't feed you anymore. You know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's the kind of, yeah, I, you know, uh, I'm afraid that if people know that my child goes to that church where those people voted like that, uh, they're going to think that you vote like that, and then they're going to think that I vote like that, and so I can't be associated with this, and so you have to be out of my house. That's the kind of social pressure that existed in the first century, if you can kind of wrap your mind around that. And in fact, a lot of people, when they joined the Christian community, let go of all of their family in order to follow Jesus. It was, it was a hard decision. So the social pressure was extremely strong. Now take the little bit of social pressure that we have and ask yourself, how much differently would you act if you had that kind of social pressure piled on you? What kind of chances, what kind of risks would you take? Would you be willing? And, and then you begin to go, man, maybe that thing in me, that little thing that drives me to post those nice things and not post those not nice things, that little thing in me that says not to share that prayer request, that little thing in me that says, you know, don't, um, don't let people know that you did this or that, watch that movie that you did, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Don't, that little thing in you that hides the thing that you view as bad and, and, and lifts up the thing that you view as good. Now imagine that just, that pressure is amplified. That's the same kind of sin that is dwelling in them that is dwelling in us. It's just, it's, it's the, it, it just takes a little bit more pressure and we're, and we're making the same bad mistakes as they are. We all do it. I mean, you think about, you've got Peter who was like, you know, the rock of the church, Right? And in chapter three, we found out that even Peter was stopped eating with uh, uncircumcised Gentiles. Even Peter fell to it, and Paul had to call him out. He's like, hey, man, like, this isn't cool. So if we think we wouldn't fall in that, we, we all are in danger of that because we all have that sinful uh, desire for uh, security, for safety, and, and not that the desire for safety and security and acceptance are, are sinful, but that they drive, they, they can sinfully drive us at times. Man. So Paul doesn't just call out this idea, though. He doesn't just call out this idea of lifting oneself up. He points out the importance of lifting up Christ. So he, we, we're going to move on to verses 14 through 16. He says this, lifting up Christ. 
But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world, for the, both circumcision and un, uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace come to all those who follow this standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. Paul isn't going around going, look at all the converts that I've gotten, like the, the opponents are. Look at all these miracles that follow me everywhere I go. Look at how holy I am. He's not pointing out these things. He's saying, no, I'm going to boast in Christ crucified. Everything else does, is of no value to me. Christ crucified is where I find my value. What's interesting is that why, why didn't he point to Christ reigning on the throne? Christ reigning on the throne. He, this is something that he believes strongly, but he points to Christ crucified. And I think Paul is doing something very intentional here because he knows that in, that, in the first century context, in this time, they would, have, they would have viewed the cross as a place of shame. This is a Roman crucifixion. This is a, a capital punishment, right? This is like, hey, this dude, this dude blasphemed God, not only did he blaspheme God, this, this dude is a criminal against Rome. And what, what Paul is saying is, I'm going to identify with this, with this uh, crucified criminal on the cross. I'm going to take that place of shame above anything else. He points to the cross to say, this, this is how the reign is attained, first of all through lowering self. And, he's, and as you begin to process this, this idea that, that, that by identifying with a crucified criminal means the rejection of, at times, your family rejecting you and leaving you and all that. All of a sudden, you realize that Paul is making a huge sacrifice here. He's like, I'm not going to boast in anything great that I'm doing, even though we could look at Paul's life and go, this dude was doing amazing things for the gospel. And yet, he boasts about Christ on the cross. That is where he finds his honor. That's where he looks to, for, to truly find value, is that what Christ did. Because what happens on the cross reveals the injustices of the Roman system, actually, right? Like, you've got an innocent man being, being killed, an innocent man being killed. This, and so if you recognize that, all of a sudden you're going, man, like maybe Rome isn't all that great. Man, maybe it's not as powerful as we thought. They have to come in and they got to take things through violence. And here, this, this crucified Jesus somehow is reigning by taking violence upon himself. There's this, this shifting that's happening and, and like even world perspectives, what, what honor and shame, where it comes from and everything. And Paul is saying, I'm going to identify with the cross. I'm not going to identify with all the great things, all the, all the salvations I've seen, all the great things that I've done. I mean, and he could have bragged about a bunch of stuff. And, and so we see him identifying first and foremost with the cross. And not, not only is he not going to force people to convert uh, through the cutting of flesh with, uh, with, a, with like a threat looming over them, he, he looks at the wounds of Christ and shows that the shame of this world brings honor in God's kingdom. And, and the only flesh that needs to be wounded for our inclusion is Christ's. And that's, that's beautiful. The only flesh that needs to be wounded for our inclusion is Christ's. 
Now we take all that social pressure we discussed in the last point, um, and and this desire to show our goodness, our our, our and to avoid and hide our our sinfulness, our shame, our neediness, our weakness. Um, so we can assure this acceptance and, and we can take all that now and imagine instead of pointing out what you have done well that you can look to the cross of Christ and say I have done nothing that is as great as that he b- laid himself bare how much more willing should we be able to lay ourselves bare we look at the cross and we say my sin is placed on this crucified criminal He takes it to the grave and he overcomes it. He brings victory. And I can look to the cross and I can say, all of my shame, all of my neediness, all of my brokenness, all of my weakness is laid on this crucified criminal. And because of that, I am fully included into the family of God. That that's powerful and 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 when you begin to recognize that you're i mean this is why the first century christians were willing to leave family and friends in order to follow this crucified savior it's not that they wanted to leave those family and friends it's that those family and friends said like we can't continue to identify with you so you're going to have to get out of our house these people were willing to let go of everything in order to follow their savior. And I think as we recognize that, we can let go of all of our fears of what other people are gonna think about us, all of our worries that our weaknesses are, are gonna be seen, all of these things. And we can look at the crucified savior and we can say, God, take me as I am. I submit myself to you and I don't care who else sees the brokenness in me because you allowed everyone to see the brokenness in you or to see yourself broken. That's, that's, that's the beauty of when Paul's pointing to the cross. Man, we don't have to worry about this American dream of like, what does it look like to be successful anymore? Or what does it look like to be strong? Or what does it look like to be, to be, be powerful or whatever? We look at the cross and we say, that is my model. That is what I look to. That is what I place all of my junk on and he takes it and, and forgives us, invites us into his family. But honestly, it requires us to move now to our last point uh, as we begin to think of this idea of lowering ourselves. We talked about uh, lifting, what it looked like to lift up self, what it looks like to lift up Christ, and now we're going to look at lowering ourselves, lowering self. Verses 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. The way that Paul ends this letter is actually so genius. I mean, it's it's so cool. Like, he started off this letter, if you remember, talking about his authority. It's like, I have the authority of an apostle from God. But he ends this letter basically proclaiming that he is a slave. It's this interesting way to end this whole thing. You see... um, this phrase where he says, bearing on my body the marks of Jesus. This, the, the word there uh, for marks, actually, m- many commentators will say, like, this is, this is a, uh, a word that oftentimes was used of slaves, the mark that they would have received, some sort of tattoo or, or scarring or something like that, that, that they would have received to, be say, to say, I'm my master's. Um, 
But also, it would be used uh, at times of like, uh, if uh, someone had like submitted themselves to a king or a god or something like that, they may be marked as well in that way. Um, and Paul is, is saying, the, talking about these marks on his own, on, on the marks of Jesus on his body. What Paul is essentially saying is like, I have made myself a slave to Christ. I am his servant. I'm submitting myself fully to him. No matter what that looks like, I'm submitting myself fully to him. So he starts off with this idea of like, hey, I've got the authority of God on me. I'm, I'm an apostle. But he ends with, I'm fully submitted to Jesus. I, I, I have nothing of my own. And so, and we don't actually know what these marks are. These, if they're actual physical marks, of uh, some people have said maybe it's baptism. I do think there's good good evidence to say maybe these are actually physical marks. And the reason I say that is because in Second Corinthians 11, Paul goes on this long discussion about the things that he, he's experienced, which would have left marks for sure. He says this, and he's talking, in that chapter, he's talking about boasting in Christ and lowering self as well, like he's dealing with that. But in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 through 30, he says this, uh, bear with me, it's a little bit of a long passage, uh, 21 through 30, he says, but in whatever anyone dares to boast, I am talking foolishly, I also dare. He's, he's like, I'm gonna, okay, I'll go along with you, I'll talk foolishly. Are there any Hebrew? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm, t- I'm talking like a madman. Like he's, he like continues to interject like I'm being crazy here. I know y'all want to boast. I'll show you what boasting looks like. And he's just like, I'm going to go off and act crazy. Uh, and he says, um, he says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. So he start, then he starts to go into his boasting being in, honestly, what brings most people shame in, in this culture. And then he starts to say this. He says, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was uh, shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open seas. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from uh, from rivers, dangers from robbers, robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things there is a daily pressure on me my concern for all the churches that's beautiful that his that his concern for the churches is what drove him to do this but who is weak and i'm not weak who is made to stumble and i do not burn with indignation if boasting is necessary i will bur- i will boast about my weakness paul is a man who lifts up his weakness talks about the marks of Christ on his body. And I, I, I think that there is a good reason to believe that, you know, if he had been beaten, if he had received 39 lashes five times, this dude's got scars all over his back. This is a man who probably looks like a servant or a slave who's been badly mistreated. And he's saying, I'm, these are for Christ. Because I'm a servant of his. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth for this, this, this Jesus. He's lowering himself. Let's ask ourselves, you know, what it would look like to actually fully trust Christ and his death and resurrection to restore all things. What do we do? How, how could we lower ourselves? How, how would our social media posts change? 
How would the way you present yourself at church or other gatherings change? Would you become more open about your sinfulness and brokenness and weakness? If you felt safe to do that, how much more likely is it that you would also then be able to find wholeness more than ever before? Now, I'd like to add here that our culture has, has a kind of a, di- a, a different version of this, um, of like, kind of like, hey, just be your authentic self, right? Like, you can bear it all. Like, you, be, you do you. You know, like, that's the, the mantra of our day. You do you, be your, your true self, all that. And, and that's, that's one version of this that is, is actually a twisted version of what we have here. Um, and I think uh, even, even non-believe, even non-Christians have pointed out the ridiculousness of this. If anybody here watched Portlandia, you may not watch Portlandia. I don't know. If you watch Portlandia, there's a skit in there called You Do You. There's a whole thing on, on You Do You. It, it's, a, it's really funny. But they, essentially, there's this girl in, in one of the apartments, and she hears this loud, like, heavy metal music, and she goes, and she's like, knocks on his door, and like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, sorry, I'm just doing me. I'm being my authentic self. And so he just keeps blasting me. He doesn't care what she has to say. And then all of a sudden, he, he, she hears, like, some, like, something falling, and it sounds like something violent is happening down there. And she goes down there, and she's like, what is going on? He's like, just doing me. I'm just doing me. And then he just shuts the door and leaves. And then the last time, it's like he, he, she hears a, a, a person screaming, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And he knocks on, she knocks on the door. And he's like, you know, I just got to do me. And then all of a sudden, the police burst through the door. Uh, I want to I quote this because it was, it was so funny. They come in. They put the cuffs on him, and he's, he's got his hands behind his back, and, and his name is Greg. He says, no, no, no. Listen, with all due respect, you're an officer of the law. You have to do you. But I'm just a human being trying to live my truth. (laughs) You do you, and I'll do me. And the officer looks at him and says, wow, I'm so sorry. I never want to get in the way of someone living uh, living their truth and being their authentic self. Let's get those cuffs off you. <laughs> and that, that's like how the, the, the thing is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But there is this reality that like, hey, whatever junk in your life there is, just accept it. It's just part of who you are. And then you can be, you can enjoy yourself, enjoy your life. Just go on living like you live because that's just part of who you are. Be your authentic self. There is some of that that, that's, that exists in our culture in this, in this way. And so what has happened, whether you see your junk and you're embarrassed by it and, and you never show it to anybody, or you see your junk and you're like, this is me and I don't really care. This is just what I do. You know, Either side has, the, has this problem where you're fully identifying with the sinfulness in your life. You're, full, you're saying, this is what defines who I am. And so either I need to hide in shame or I need to fully accept it. But either way, I've got to figure out how to deal with this. I have to figure out how to navigate it. And what's beautiful in this series on the book of Galatians, we've talked about this idea of freedom through Christ. The freedom that comes offers us freedom from this this pendulum swing all the way over to here. That there's something in the middle that says, I can identify my brokenness. I can be honest about those broken parts in my life. And at the same time, I can continue to move forward because I'm not completely crushed under my brokenness. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. So now all of a sudden, my righteousness is not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. He has done all that I need to do, right? Like he has fulfilled the whole law. And so when God looks at you, he sees, he sees Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and raising from the dead. When, Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. 
And so you can boldly come and say, I have sinned, I have failed, I need forgiveness. And I can talk to the community about this and we can work together with one another because we are no longer defined by our broken situation, but we're defined by Christ and his work on the cross. And so this is, this is the beauty of, the, of, this, of this gospel that says that Jesus died so that you can be honest about your situation and so that you can genuinely begin to change and be saved. This is so wonderful. And so we, we can then see how Christ actually does begin to change this whole, he pulls us outside of this, like this trap of either total, like I'm, I'm worthless or total, like I, it's fine, I can, it's just who I am, you know? And he says, like, let's, we can lower ourselves and we can see, and we can look to the beauty of Christ, and then we can continue to move forward. So this whole letter has been about this idea, right? This bringing freedom through Christ, um, and here Paul's identifying as this slave. And so, man, how how much could could we benefit from beginning to do that with our own lives? Saying those weak and broken parts, those the neediness in us that we hide, how much more should we be able to share that with our community, share that, uh, bring that to before God, just be authentic and real, and at the same time be able to like say, but, but because of Christ, I'm, that, does not identi- that does not define me or give me my self-worth or my value or lack of value. So um, I hope uh, as we close out the series on the book of Galatians, we're seeing how the gospel does truly bring freedom. Uh, that no matter how uh, experts might disagree on one thing or another, uh, that the essentials of the gospel remain the same. That it's Christ and nothing else. That we can place our trust in him alone. That his cross is what saves us. Not our own deeds, not our own actions, not our own failures, and not our own wins. Like, none of that is what saves us. It's his cross. And so... Uh, We can stop trying to lift up ourselves and we can begin to lift up Christ and we can lower ourselves and in doing all this is where we truly find freedom. True freedom, not the kind of freedom that says like I can do whatever I want, but the kind of freedom that says I am finally able to do what I ought to do. That's, That's true freedom. Being able to do what you ought to do. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and close out uh, with a word of prayer. And I, I hope that as we close out the book of Galatians, that you guys, um, that, your, that our hearts are, are changed, that, are, that we're transformed just a little bit more, and that as we go in, into our community groups throughout the week, that we begin to um, share ourselves a little bit more, ber- uh, uh, really truly be honest with where we're at. And, and um, if we're not in a community group or something like that, that we would be able to in, get involved in one of those set, so that we have a smaller community that we can be honest with and really, really share ourselves with. I'm gonna go ahead and close out now. God, thank you so much for your work on the cross. Thank you so much uh, that you have rescued us from this, this rat race uh, of false righteousness. Um, thank you so much that you have given us your your son so that we might be made righteous and whole and at the same time continue to work on ourselves and become more and more like you we love you and we thank you in jesus name amen thank you for listening 
We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.